This is the Internet Ballers Podcast, Episode 71. This is the Internet Ballers Podcast with your host, Michael Pasha, the show for internet entrepreneurs who want to learn how uncertainty and struggle turn into confidence and success. Welcome to the Ballers Circle. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Baller Circle. I'm Michael Pasha, the host of the Internet Ballers podcast, and today I'm excited to welcome Chris Loeb to the Baller Circle. As a direct response copywriter, Chris has worked with Shark Tank winners, Inc. 500 companies, and well-known industry experts such as Russ Ruffino and Drew Canoli. Chris helps business owners understand the markets that they serve and the problems they should be focused on on a deeper level so they can create highly converting marketing and sales materials that actually convert people into new customers. Chris, I'm happy to have you on the show because... Uh, this focus on, you know, market research is something that I think a lot of people try to ignore, but they need not to. And uh, I'm glad you're here to kind of help us out to to figure out how to do it the right way. How are you doing? Great, great. Yes, I, I agree with you on that point. And yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So uh, you are someone that I think is is uh, perfect for this show because you know, we love to fo- focus on the fact that the uh, the story of success is is really the story of the struggle. I know you've, you've been through, you know, many struggles yourself. Uh, so I'd like to dig into your personal entrepreneurial journey um, and kind of start out with, like, where did you grow up and what was life like for you? And, and what kind of was your first, um, I guess, reason or, or, or thing that, that made you decide to want to try to be an entrepreneur? Okay. So I typically follow the kind of American life path for most of my young adult life. Went to high school, got good grades so I could get into a good college, got into a good college, got a good job after that. And um, had some entrepreneurial tendencies. I had dabbled in, you know, very, very small projects while I was employed, you know, as an employee. But over time, I became more and more dissatisfied. I was fortunate enough to get into a position where I was making really good money at a young age, you know, 24, 25, making more than any of my friends. But I quickly realized that it doesn't matter how much money you're making if you hate your life on a day-to-day basis. So I, it was, you know, it's kind of cliche. I had one of my father's friends gave me a copy of the four hour work week. I read it. Um, I'd been doing some international travel, hanging out with backpackers in Costa Rica and Bali and different places. And after a couple of vacations and reading the four hour work week, I said, screw it. I'm going to quit. I'm going to be the next Tim Ferriss. So, <laughs> so, um, I saved up money, paid off all my debt, quit my job. And after a while, uh, I just started out traveling, but after a while I realized my money wasn't going to last forever. So that was when I tried to figure out this whole online business stuff. And that was a very painful process of <laughs> getting that off the ground. Um, I don't know if that's something you want me to go into detail about, but that's yeah, kind of how I arrived. I, I really like to know, I like to know like what, what were some of those initial struggles? What did you try to do that didn't work and why do you think it didn't work? Yeah. So when I quit my job, I had absolutely no plan of how I was going to generate an income or how I was going to replace my nine to five income. But I did have quite a bit of savings. Like I said, I was earning a fairly high salary as an employee. So in the beginning, I was just, 
um, just traveling off savings. But when I started to work, when I realized that my savings wasn't going to last forever, the you know the kind of initial default thought was, okay, well, I'm going to do what I did in my nine to five job, and I think that was my first mistake because I didn't really understand everything that went into, you know, running the type of company, you know, I thought because I had worked at that type of company that I would be able to start and run that type of company. And, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine, there's a lot, you know, as an employee, you might think you have the whole picture, but until you're an actual entrepreneur that's dealt with generating leads and building a sales team and client management and all that stuff, it doesn't really, work. it doesn't quite work like that. So that was my first mistake. But um, looking at this, you know, looking back now that I've had some success and kind of looking from 40,000 foot level, the biggest mistake was trying to do everything on my own. I just, I was so terrified to spend money on something that might not work, whether that would be a business coach to help me advance faster or spending money on a designer because maybe their design wasn't going to be perfect. I mean, I was almost literally trying to do everything myself. And I basically burnt through my like $81,000 life savings. Um, between the time when I quit my job in spring of 2014, I basically burnt through like $80,000 and I could not get a single business off the ground. I did not have any recurring revenue whatsoever. Um, so I hit rock bottom. I mean, I'd been living in Costa Rica and paradise ran out of money was on the edge of being clinically depressed had to move back in with my parents in California, basically stop all this traveling stuff that I was doing, um, was down to my last thousand dollars. And when I went to go start filling out my resume and looking at job openings, my brain just shut down. I, I literally could not bear the idea of going back to a nine to five job. I mean, it was like, a dog that escapes and then rounds the corner and sees his owner standing right there. I was, it was like <laughs> sub, submitting myself to slavery. I just couldn't go back and do it. So, um, my first thought was actually, well, I'll just go homeless. And I, you know, not to be like melodramatic, it only flashed through my head for a split second, but that was rock bottom. You know, the fact that I was even considering living on the streets, it was kind of like, wow, would being homeless really be that bad? That was how much <laughs> like wow. failure I had endured and just how desperate I was. So, um, obviously I, I wasn't going to go homeless. So I got my second wind and dusted off some old marketing books and sales books that I picked up over the years and found a copy of Dan Kennedy's ultimate sales letter. And I went through it cover to cover twice, took notes, basically followed out. Um, and I dabbled in copywriting before that followed the book to a T just really diving into a market and understanding their pain points and developing an offer to solve what you know, some marketers call a bleeding neck problem. Um, so I wrote this sales letter by hand, stuffed all the, you know, went to the library to print them off, drove around town to find the cheapest paper I could buy, licked all the stamps, da da da, um, launched <laughs> this campaign, and it actually worked. Uh, that was my first taste of success. I landed a four figure client within seven days of sending out that direct mail campaign, bankrolled that money into picking up more clients, ended up moving out of my par <laughs> parents a couple months later, and have never looked back since. So, um, copywriting was really the first venture that helped me to, uh, you know, generate some income online and 
it's treated me well ever since just kind of been a rabbit hole of learning more and more and working with larger and larger clients ever since then. Nice. That's awesome, man. I love that story. So that first, uh, first client, was this uh, part of the work you're doing now, the research copywriting, or was this another business that you had done before you got into what you're doing now? No. So that business was doing reputation management for dentists and plastic surgeons. Um, eventually I had to shut that down about eight months later because of fulfillment issues. But, um, once I'd realized that I could write decent copy that got a response when I had to shut that business down, I just started, I hung my shingle as a copywriter and started writing for clients and that took off fairly quickly. Hmm. Okay. I like that. I like it. Cause that was going to be my next question is like, how did you learn to become a research copywriter? So was, um, was Dan Kennedy's book, um, the, the main, uh, thing you used, or what, were there some other resources or, uh, did you, did you hire anyone or what, what, what was the, uh, I guess the, the process? Yeah, that's a good question. So my, my story as far as how I got involved and re- really understood the importance of market research, um, it's probably not that exciting, honestly, but long story short, there is a gentleman named, uh, Dr. Glenn Livingston. He, uh, didn't really go the internet marketing guru route. He was doing marketing consulting for Fortune 100 companies, charging six figures to do these focus groups and phone calls and surveys and all this stuff. And he ended up losing, um, without going too deep into his story, he ended up in getting involved in a business and losing over $2 million that wasn't even his money, um, you know, that he had gained through, I don't remember exactly if it was venture capital or whatever, but he ended up $2 million in debt because of a business deal that went south uh, because of his failure to understand how to properly enter into the market. So with his kind of depth, depth of experience, he... Um, working with these Fortune 100 companies and really understanding how to do market research, he developed this elaborate, you know, very, you know, the guy's a PhD. He's very intellectual. Um, but he developed this kind of elaborate system for doing market research and being able to look at most any market on the planet and understand your odds of success, understand, you know, you know using various formulas and metrics to go in and study it and really develop an um a general ballpark idea of how much is it going to cost me to enter this market? And realistically speaking, how rapidly will I be able to turn a profit? So you can kind of understand, you can look at your resources and understand, you know, do I have the capital? Do I have the bankroll to be able to move into this market? And I just thought it was fascinating because he placed so much emphasis on risk reduction and risk management. So, here I am, like a 25-year-old kid. I know nothing about business and very little about marketing, but I saw the inherent appeal and how this could be valuable to business owners, especially as someone who's been always kind of um, analytical, suffered from analysis paralysis, and really you know, uh, risk-averse for most of my adult life. So I really saw the value in his system, and I started buying his trainings and executing on his methods for my clients um, you know, at a very young age when I was just first getting started. And we were getting a lot, you know, we were getting good results, and my clients were blown away by the research that, you know, the findings, the data and feedback I was bringing to the table as a result of my research process. Um, 
And what ended up happening was this Dr. Glenn Livingston men, uh, mentored Ryan Levesque. Uh, Ryan Levesque was his one and only protege. And as you know, if you're fairly involved in online marketing, you know, Ryan Levesque blew up with his survey methodology and his book, Ask and whatnot. So Ryan basically took everything that this Dr. Glenn Livingston guy had invented and took it to the next level, really applied it to funnels and all this internet marketing stuff that we're doing today. Um, so I got involved with Ryan a little bit and just had a lot of clients who were getting value out of this research stuff that I was doing. Nice, nice. That's awesome. So one interesting thing about that is, I mean, you're definitely right. Ask is like, a, it's a great book. I, I've, I've went through it a couple of times and, you know, uh, implemented some surveys. Uh, one thing I, I'm sure that you've come across and I'm interested to get your opinion on is, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have read Ask and who are implementing it incorrectly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so, so I guess what is, what is your take on, um, I guess the, the right way to do market research and what people, uh, that you see in the marketplace are doing wrong? Yeah. So as far as what people are doing wrong, in short, they're just not doing it. They're, they're skipping it or they're, um, you know, kind of half-assing it. I don't know if I can swear on here, but, um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're just not doing it or they're doing very, very little of it or they're doing it, but they're not gathering statistically relevant data. So they're jumping to conclusions when they do it. So that is the main thing. Um, and then as far as actually going out and executing on it, um, you know, I don't know how in depth you want me to go, but generally speaking, the easiest thing that anybody can do is just to get their buyers or prospective buyers on the phone and really dive into the emotional hot button issues or the kind of underlying psychological motivations that drive the buying behavior in that market. Hmm. So when you're when you get a new client and let's say they're working in a market you're not very familiar with, what 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 are some of the questions that you ask that client to figure out like where where you're going to start uh, doing the research? Yeah, so that's a good question. So it it kind of depends, you know. It depends. This this market research is very time consuming. So in some situations, the you know the projects that I'm working on, they won't have the budget to really be able to afford for the copywriter to go really in depth with the market research. But if it is a larger project where um, you know we're doing a funnel or something like that, then it kind of depends. The generally speaking. Um, I do. I have run quite a few ask surveys or deep dive surveys. Uh, that to be able to effectively do that, you have to have a fairly large list. So we're typically looking for a thousand survey responses, and for the most part, unless you're you know have a really incredible relationship with your list, you're going to see anywhere from one and a half to maybe three percent of the people on your list fill that survey out. So unless you've got you know, 30 to 60,000 people, the survey might not generate statistically relevant data. But the cool thing is for your listeners and pretty much any business owner out there is you can hold, you know, 15, 25, maybe 40 at the max market research phone calls. And assuming you're asking the right questions, you will very quickly unearth the patterns in the data and pretty much everything you could possibly need to know to effectively sell to your market. Hmm. 
Hmm. Okay. I like that. So what if, uh, do, do you have, um, I guess a strategy for someone, let's say they don't have a list, right? They don't have any clients. They're just getting started out and they're thinking like, I want to do this, but I want to make sure that, um, like you were saying earlier, that like, that this is actually a viable business model. Um, in, in that case, do they, um, leverage like other people's clients or what, what, what would you, what's your suggestion for that kind of person? So if they're, you know, if someone's brand new, they don't have a list, maybe they don't even have any clients yet just now trying to start to generate leads, then yes, they might have to do, um, you know, they might have to take advantage of a competitor's audience that, that is one of the methods that Ryan Levesque taught was, you know, if you don't have a list, then you can just run the survey to somebody else's list who already has access to the type of clients that you want. If it's someone who's just even just a little bit more established, if they have just a handful of clients, maybe they've got some leads or prospects in the pipeline, then just getting on the phone with those people and asking the right questions, which is critical. You know, a lot of people try to do, um, they don't know what questions, how to ask. They don't know in what order to ask the questions. So if your audience is interested, I have a full blown market research phone script that I can give them access to at the end of the call. But, um, yeah, you know, it's really not that complicated, basically just getting people on the phone and starting to ask, okay, why is this important to you? So say you're operating, you know, say you're, you run a marketing agency teaching attorneys how to generate leads. So, okay, why is it important to you to generate more leads? Why can't you just stay where you're at right now? Okay, well, what would having more leads enable you to do that you're not doing right now? And basically just diving deeper and deeper, kind of starting off at the surface level and then going deeper into understanding what what is driving their buying behavior. You know, what it, what's the determining factor that's making them decide if they're going to hire you or not, or if they're going to buy your product or buy your service or whatever. Okay. So who's, who is your ideal client? So my ideal client in terms of being able to effectively execute on this market research stuff is for the most part, someone who has a warm relationship with their audience. So let me, um, if, if we have time, I'll tell you a little story just to show the impact of how dramatically this research stuff can transform a business. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So a couple of years ago, I started working with this client uh, information publisher in the health and nutrition niche. And they were successful doing a couple hundred thousand – uh, per month, but they had never really executed on this market research process. They were in their young 30s. Everybody else working at the company was in their young 30s, and they just assumed that the type of people interested, you know, they were living in Santa Monica, a very trendy area, and just kind of assumed that the other people interested in paleo and health and nutrition and weight loss were similar to them young adults, you know, about 30 to age 45, mix of men and women. So all of their marketing reflected that. They had pictures pictures of young guys at Venice Beach with their shirts off, flexing their muscles and young girls doing yoga and just kind of what you might expect from a company marketing health and nutrition stuff to young adults. So when I came in and we started working with them, I 
um, I basically make all of my clients go through the market, this market research process if we've never worked together bef uh, before. And I just kind of ask them, okay, what, who do you think your market is? What age do you think they are? What's the demographic breakdown, et cetera, et cetera. So I executed on my market research process and when I came back to them, they were nowhere close to the reality of who their buyers were. So they thought they were serving men and women ages 30, 35 to 45. In reality, their market was 89% women, so almost no men, uh, heavily skewed towards the 50 and up age bracket with a very large percent of the buying demographic, 55 to 65, and then actually 65 to 75. So they, their, their assumptions, their educated guesses about who their market was were just completely off. So luckily they were open-minded, they were flexible, they were blown away by the findings, and they took swift action to update their branding and their messaging. So they kind of put less emphasis on all of these young guys with their shirts off, started using more photos of women in their golden years. They'd been using a lot of kind of aggressive messaging in their copy, aggressive headlines on their sales pages. They toned that down. Uh, they'd been using a lot of red and black in their funnels, kind of appealing to the young male. They took that out and started using softer blues and grays. And they basically went from um, – writing they were before we had started working together they were at a point where if the performance of they were doing a lot of media buying to generate leads so if the performance of their landing pages or the cost of their facebook ads fluctuated by 10 percent, they went from being profitable to going negative into the red so they were riding a very fine line unable to really scale their business and once they made these updates over the next six months, they ended up having a record-breaking year and getting onto the Inc. 500. So it just goes to show that a lot of businesses out there are A, operating on assumptions, and then B, can be profitable in spite of themselves. Um, you know, it's actually, from what I've seen, it's the companies that are profitable um, but know there's a lot of upside potential that they're not tapping into that really see the best results from doing this market research stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, man. That's yes. Yeah, those are some, some, some really powerful results, especially like to think that they thought their market like was really almost the opposite of what it actually ended up being. Um, so for, for let's say it's for someone out there who is thinking like, okay, I want to, you know, dabble into some market research um, I want to hire Chris eventually, but I'm not there yet. Like, are there, are there some tools or resources that you can direct people to that they can kind of start out with? I mean, outside of obviously Ryan's great book, ask, um, what would your advice be? Yeah, honestly, I like the beautiful thing about it is that it doesn't cost any money. You don't need any tools. All you need to do is get your prospective buyers or existing buyers on the phone and ask the right questions. So that's um, that's the beauty of it, but that's also the reason that why so few people actually go out there and do it is because it's tough. A lot of people don't want to take the time to put in the hours doing this. A lot of people are not comfortable asking strangers personal questions. So it's not you know, it's not difficult. There aren't any roadblocks that are, you know, it doesn't matter if you're flat broke and just trying to get your first client. 
anybody who has access to a phone can go out and do this, but it does take work. It does it is going to take you getting out of your comfort zone, you know, doing things that most people are not comfortable doing. And, um, yeah, just, just putting into hours. But I, you know, as someone who's done this both for my own businesses and my clients, I can pretty much guarantee you that if you go out and get say 25 of members from your ideal target audience on the phone and ask them the right questions, you will be light years ahead of 98% of your competition and you will learn everything you need to know about how to effectively sell, sell whatever your product or services to these people. And the only kind of caveat to that where it can go wrong, um, and it's not wrong or bad, it's just a learning process, is that maybe you get people on the phone who at the end of the day are not in fact your target audience, but you're still learning. You're still learning how who you need to be marketing to and how to reach them. So it's not bad or a mistake. It's just a part of the learning process. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. I was like, if, you know, similar to the the company that you mentioned before where they thought their market was, you know, males in their, you know, young thirties and they're getting on the phone with them asking questions. How do you find out that I'm, I'm talking to the right people and how do you figure out like, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not calling the, I guess, I don't know, 60, 50, 60 year old women, how do I figure out that that's who I need to be talking to in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. So that that's kind of the difference between a brand new company who's just getting started and an established company. So I always recommend if you're established, if you have, uh, I have what I call the market research pyramid, and I don't want to bore your readers to death with the details of it. But basically, at the top of the pyramid, the highest quality feedback that you can get is from your internal ecosystem. So from your buyers, from your hot prospects, from your warm leads, from your email list, from your social media followers, because those people have already indicated an interest in what it is that you sell, especially the buyers. They've already pulled out their credit card and bought from you. So if you can, you want to execute on research with them because you're trying to find more people just like them. You're trying to develop the messaging that's going to resonate with other people just like them. But if you're in a you know, if you're a brand new business and you don't have that ecosystem to tap into, then it could go one of two directions. You could get on the phone with these 30-year-old men and discover how to effectively sell your products and services to them, or you could get on the phone with them, realize that they're not your market, and then have to dig a little bit deeper and figure out who is your market. So either way, it's going to bear fruit um, one way or another. Okay. I like that. So I'm glad that there's, there's a strategy for everybody, regardless of what stage of business that they're in. And, and as you even said, regardless of whether or not you have the money or not, if you have the money, you can pay someone like yourself to do it. And if you don't, then you can do it yourself. Um, which, which I, 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 you know, I really like, and if you do do it yourself and you become really successful, like you've been able to do, then, then, uh, you know, then they'll have the resources to, to hire someone like you. So before we close out, um, for those people who are listening, who are like, Hey man, I, w- I want to learn more about, um, Chris and his process and his business. Uh, how can the baller circle get in touch with you and learn more about your business? Yeah, definitely. So if anybody listening is interested in trying to execute on this process, getting on the phone with their market so that they can better understand how to develop their messaging, I have a A to Z market research phone script at mastermymarket.com 
com. So literally walks you through exactly how to hold one of these market research phone calls from A to Z, the type of questions to ask, how to transition topics. So that's at mastermymarket.com. And then if someone wants to reach me to actually help out with this stuff, right there on the thank you page, there is a button to schedule a call if anybody's interested. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I really appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, definitely great speaking with you today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being awesome and joining me on another episode of the Internet Ballers podcast. Be sure to tune in next week. It will be the August monthly roundup episodes where I'll be going through my takeaways with all my interviews from this month. In the meantime, you can check out the blog post for this episode as well as listen to other episodes of the Internet Ballers podcast at www.internetballers.com. Again, I'm Michael Pasha and happy marketing. Thanks for listening to the Internet Ballers podcast. Through our guest stories, you will learn the path to go from struggling entrepreneur to internet baller. We'll see you on the next episode.